Hey there, Ridiculous Historians. This is Eli. And I'm Diana. And we're here invading the Ridiculous History feed to bring you a taste of our new show, Ridiculous Romance. Ben and Noel have already told you about the expanded universe of Ridiculous Podcasts. And we are very excited to be first in line with that. It, it, it's really just going to be just like the MCU. There's going to be all these crossover guest stars and this interwoven mythology and unrealistic body standards and, and just some really epic stories. And you're not going to want to miss a single beat. So here's our first episode. Then check out our feed where there's already more to binge. Enjoy this and follow Ridiculous Romance for more. I'm Diana. And I'm Eli. We're married and we like to talk. That's right. So we thought that we would talk about crazy, wild, or just plain fascinating partnerships, both historical and contemporary. So welcome to Ridiculous Romance. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show, Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. For our very first episode, we thought we'd talk about Louis XV and Madame de Pompadour because there's very little as ridiculous as the French court in the 1700s. That's right. This is a seriously ridiculous time. We got a little taste of it uh, on our honeymoon. We were fortunate enough to go to Paris and we went out to Versailles. Uh, It was a really exciting time. Beautiful palace. Just the most probably ridiculous place I've ever been. You know, every square inch is ornate. Portraits on portraits on portraits on portraits all the way up to the ceiling and everything is decorated and it's just rich AF. And we were like, oh, no wonder the peasants got mad. We're not here to talk about Louis the 14th. Yes, we are here to talk about Louis the 15th and his maybe great love of his life, Madame de Pompadour. So she was born in 1721. Her name was Jean-Antoinette Poisson, or as we say in English, John Anthony Fish. A beautiful name for a beautiful girl. Uh, When she was nine, (laughs) they took her to a fortune teller and they told her that she was destined to reign over the heart of a king. So basically from that day forward, she was groomed to become the mistress of the next King Louis. It's so weird. It's like it's like pageant moms. Yeah. Like like you're like, oh, this is, you know, you're my daughter. This is this is for you. I'm doing this for you. I'm going to spend your whole childhood training you to be the mistress to the king, to be the king's side piece. Mm-hmm. That's my goal for you. This was a this was a standard thing, the the mistress to the king. This was fairly typical behavior. It was almost an established role in the French monarchy. Mm-hmm. They, there was an official title, but it's like uh, like interning with a senator or something. Like right. it's a political position, like <laughs> which. It may be too much like Ooh. interning with us. But anyway, <laughs> but, you know, at the time for women, there wasn't a lot of avenues to power besides that one that you had to get married to have any place in society of your own. Um, so anyway, it was just a chance to kind of like elevate your family, yourself to, to a position of power. Yeah, in fact, uh, Kathleen Wellman, who is the author of a book called Queens and Mistresses of Renaissance France, she likened the role of the royal mistress to a presidential first lady in America. Hmm. The quote is that she said, think about the influence that first ladies have in shaping perceptions of presidencies. Think about all the people who had to go through Nancy Reagan to get to Ronald Reagan. This was the comparison that she drew to 
the royal mistress. These women mm. were sort of the woman behind the man in the French monarchy. This was someone who had the king's ear constantly. This is someone that the king told everything to, that confided in uh, you know, all of his secrets. And this was someone by his side who knew what was going on probably better than he did himself because yeah. she would also be mingling with the court more than he was. She was out there. She probably had uh, the most influence on the king as to almost anyone else in court. Well, it depends on the mistress. Sure. Uh, and how they they are. You could say, especially in Louis XV's court, because he was married to a woman who had no political ambitions of her own. Mm-hmm. So the queen wasn't jockeying with a mistress for power. Right. There was right. this mistress was like, I can really make moves here because the queen doesn't. She effectively left a vacancy. Here. So, so Madam, so John Anthony Fish is uh, is being raised and groomed into this position of royal mm-hmm. mistress. And she, at nineteen, she married the nephew of her guardian, and he fell in love with her. He was totally in love with her, and she said she would only leave him for the king. Which is a, which is a great promise. I mean, like you know, if I'm if I'm her husband. <laughs> Uh, that's fine. I right. mean, just, you feel oh, she'll safe. only leave me for the king. I don't have to worry about it then. When that's, are they going to meet? That'd be like if I told you, uh, I'll, I'll only leave you for Emily Blunt. <laughs> it's true. I would only leave you for Emily Blunt. Say, I would only leave you for Emily Blunt. That's fair. So I think neither of us would feel like wronged. I think in that I'd situation. be like, yeah, sure, that makes sense. Yeah, call no. me sometimes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You can have John Krasinski. Eh. That's perfect. If you insist. <laughs> he's very funny. Yeah. He so, seems he's oh, a good director. Very funny. Yeah. So, so anyway, she's married. All right. They have a couple kids who died. That's very tragic and sad. Because she's married, she got to go to these political salons. And she actually started some of her own. And they were like, they were like talking parties basically. So mm-hmm. they would go and they would have debates about policies or about world affairs, or they would even read poetry or prose or like read plays to each other, or whatever. It was all very... And the big names cultural. of the time were hanging out there too. You had mm-hmm. Voltaire the and Montesquieu. Mm-hmm. These were these were buddies that she got to know and she starts to sort of inject herself into high society, I think, through these salons. And because she was doing these salons... Um, actually, a couple of years before they met, the king actually heard her name because people were talking about about this sharp-witted, very smart, very funny uh, woman that was running these political or that was ho- hosting these political uh, get-togethers or whatever. So he was already kind of like, oh, who's that? You know, uh, who is this woman I'm hearing about? She is uh, so smart and throws the best parties. Uh, oh, she is friends with Voltaire. Mm. My, my, my. <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly what he said. That's an actual recording. That was me just playing a recording oh, just have, now oh, sorry. of Louis XV. I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah, a rare uh, tryptograph. <laughs> Is that a word? Tryptograph. I don't know. Feels like a not a recording. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So let's go and start over with Louis XV and see where mm-hmm. he came from. Yeah. Louis XV, or Louis de France, who was born in 1710. He was the youngest of three brothers, all named Louis. It must have been difficult when it was dinner time. <laughs> Louis, come on down. Or I guess that makes it easier. I guess You'll so. Say yeah, one you name. Call all, all the kids come. Smart. Thinking ahead, Mrs. de France. Uh, so <laughs> his older two brothers died. Louis's great-grandfather was Louis XIV. 
but Louis's grandfather, his son, died. Louis's father died, and his two older brothers died, putting him in the position of first in line for the throne, which nobody expected, Mm-mm. least of all him, partly because he was five years old when he was crowned king. What a responsibility. This is the only life he ever knew. So Louis married a woman named Marie Lesizinska. She was a Polish princess, and she was a quiet woman. The mm-hmm. official Chateau Versailles website has a whole story about her, and it's a lot, but... Uh, Basically, in summary, Louis was first engaged to the Infanta of Spain, but she was determined to be too young to have children. This is something they really wanted to happen. Yeah, because Louis was was kind of sickly, so they were worried about the succession. They wanted an heir. He hit puberty at 15, so they were like, all right, it's time for you to get it on. She has not hit puberty, so moving on from her... Here's a whole list. And they had like all of these women they were considering. But they basically went with Marie Lesizinska because she hit the three big check marks. She was healthy. Ding. She was Catholic. Ding. And she was old enough to have kids. Ding, ding, ding. So they really wanted to get her paired up with him. So they painted a portrait of her in such a way that it resembled Louis's favorite portrait of his own mother. And that was it. He was sold. He saw it and said, this is the most beautiful woman I have ever seen. That's a lot to unpack. Yeah. <laughs> but we won't, we, won't, we won't get into that. We don't need to get into that. But they actually did fall in love at first sight when they finally did meet. Uh, it was a beautiful moment. He was faithful to her for the first eight years of their marriage. Uh, yeah, and apparently he was really flattered because she was seven years older than him. So he was kind of like, oh, an older woman. You know, like he thought it was kind of hot. I oh, yeah. I mean, Even though she was famously not hot. He's 15. She's 22. I mean, when I was 15, if a 22-year-old showed oh. any interest in me, I don't care. I'm in love for the rest of my life. <laughs> that is locked in. That is permanently imprinted in my brain. This is sort of problematic, though. Is it? Now it is. Well, I'm just saying... 15. Oh, no, yeah. The relationship itself is problematic, but him being obsessed with the idea of oh, an Oh, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Leaving a, an imprint. I mean, that's why it's problematic now. Because you have such an impression over a younger person mm, that's true. when you're 22, you know? Mm-hmm. So this poor boy, this poor king of France, <laughs> you know, he didn't have a chance. Right. But the thing with Marie Lysizinska, she was, like I said, a very quiet woman. She had a little anxiety around the king. I don't think she ever really felt comfortable near him. She never really felt like she could flirt with him or keep him entertained. He was a real restless guy, too. She uh, she had a hard time keeping him engaged. Yeah, she couldn't entertain him. She wasn't like, I guess, like a sparkly personality or whatever. She, she had 10 children for him. So she was probably constantly pregnant or mm-hmm. tired from being pregnant. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess she just didn't have any game. You know what I mean? There's this story in this book from 1927 that's called Princesses, Ladies and Salonniers that apparently like... <laughs> He was bored one day, and all she could think of for him to do was kill some flies on a window pane. Oh, I'm so bored, Marie. What should I do today? Oh, uh, you could um, kill these flies. Come on, Marie. So Louis is bored, and he goes to his people, his advisors, and he says, Hey, um, excuse me, he says, hey... (laughs) <laughs> what if we bring back this old uh, royal mistress position? Yes, we, we sound good. Uh, and they were basically like, sure, but she cannot be political at all. 
Right. They're very nervous about the... I don't the know end. how my accent was there, but... It was great. It was great. I feel like I'm back in France. <laughs> Uh-oh. So they're... they're But they're nervous. They are nervous about someone coming in and trying to be ambitious and take power. I mean, we know how it is. Mm-hmm. We've seen these royal mistresses come in before, and it's a, it's who wouldn't want that position, right? So they try to kind of play the game a little bit. They're like, yes, here's a great lady. You should meet Louise Julie de Mailly in 1733. This was his first mistress. Yeah, she had no ambitions at all. She was not interested in political power whatsoever. Mm-hmm. She was, by all reports, pretty in love with Louis. So she was just kind of like, he can lead me wherever he wants me to go. I'm into it. So mm-hmm. she was just really malleable, I guess. Mm-hmm. So she was acceptable to all his advisors and, I, you know, probably pretty good looking. I guess the whole family was good looking because he ends up sleeping with all three of her sisters. <laughs> so <laughs> they um, had a certain je ne sais quoi. <laughs> Louis said ce quoi. That's not going to work. No. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. Uh, we're going to take a break and try to recover from that. <laughs> and we will be back après ça. Welcome back. Bienvenue. I hope that was a refreshing ad break. That was, that was nice French. Thank you. Merci. Oh. Oh. De rien. I took four years, so I know four words. So, Louis XV, in 1737, his wife, Marie Lesizinska, was told by her doctors that another pregnancy could kill her. She'd had ten kids. Seven of them survived. So, they stopped sleeping together, right. which, you know, is a, is a pretty acceptable reason, I think. The number one reason. Apparently, he got really offended by it, though. Which is ridiculous, because it's not like, I've got a headache tonight, I've got a headache, you know, night after night after night. Right. It's, if we sleep together, like, if I get pregnant, and which I very easily could, it could kill me. Yeah. That's like, that's okay. That's a good... Pretty good excuse. Yeah. So anyway, birth control saves lives yeah. is what we're here to say. Or just, you about know... About that. There's other things you can do. That's true. That they don't lead to pregnancy. A little, a little something... So Louis got his first mistress and is working his way through these sisters when in 1744, our stories finally merge. Madame de Pompadour and Louis XV finally meet. And this is what, of course, Madame Pompadour has been literally training for her whole life. Yeah. Since she, she was, was nine years old. And this I, is the moment. I think she totally planned every moment of this for years. This like, is... This meet cute was 100% staged. <laughs> it's so, amazing. In 1744, King Louis XV is going on a hunt, like kings do. This is probably a multi-day hunt. They all gather, they get their horses and their dogs and their French horns, and they ride out into the woods to bring back some deer foxes whatever they find so yeah there's a book called the hunt by rosamond hooper hammersley that that describes their meeting so basically she lived in a manor nearby where the king was going to be doing his hunting um, with her husband by the way p.s still married and she totally orchestrated this meeting she really wanted him to see her so she drove directly in front of his path 
once in a pink phaeton, which is like a fancy carriage, wearing a blue dress, and then again in a blue phaeton wearing a pink dress. And this is just baller. So extra. Incredible. I'm picturing her going to the carriage painters. Of course. With both her dresses, right? She's got them on a hanger in a, in a clear plastic bag mm-hmm. and she holds them up and she says, one of these carriages matches this dress. Mm-hmm. One of these carriages matches this dress. I want the color matcher from Lowe's so that when I Perfect. flip them, uh-huh. it blows his mind. Oof. I believe it. I mean, he's a board king. Right. It's 1744. So I feel like a color swap is enough to grab anybody's attention. I mean, that's pretty entertaining. You oh, have yeah. to, I would be entertained by that now. If you were like, oh, <laughs> hey, I'm driving by in a blue Subaru <laughs> wearing a pink. Wearing a pink shirt. Don't don't go try and seduce the king in a Subaru. <laughs> That's true. Her Phaeton probably was a fancy one, right? Like a Lamborghini of its time. Yeah. Like a Lamborghini yeah, totally. Phaeton. Totally. <laughs> so anyway, he did totally notice her. This absolutely worked. And he sent her some venison as a gift. What a romantic gesture. Oh my God. It's really Beautiful. just like... Because it, it throws back to how they, you know, like, oh, I was on the hunt. the hunt. You rode by me in a carriage, so I sent you this box of raw meat. Of what I killed it's gotta be today. A, it's got to be like a heart-shaped box, right? <laughs> yeah, but instead of chocolate. It's just <laughs> meat. Bloody. It's a bloody deer steak in the, cut into the shape of a heart, so it fits in the box oh, really well. That's nice. Or I was picturing like heart. different little morsels, like a truffle thing, but they're all just oh, bloody morsels. That's really disgusting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Either way, <laughs> great job, Louie. <laughs> it worked. How creative. It worked. She was, uh, she was stricken. Um, <laughs> now, at the time, though, King Louis did have another mistress. This was one of the four sisters, Marie and the Maïnesle, our our French listeners can call in tomorrow <laughs> and scream at me for that pronunciation. I did take five years, six years of French. It was just 15 years ago. I took four years, but I don't remember merit about it. <laughs> Terrible. So in court, she was known as Madame Chateauroux, which, uh, what a nickname. Oh, <laughs> that's Mrs. Redhouse. Maybe it's like, oh, she's a red Yeah. So when she died in 1744, that's kind of when the position of official mistress was open again. And this is when Pompadour was able to really make her move. Which brings us to this week's side piece. Side piece is our opportunity to kind of talk about a character that pops up in the story that really doesn't like have much to do with the romance necessarily, but we just found them fascinating for whatever reason. And this time it's Madame Chateauroux because, first of all, she's already the youngest of these five sisters that Louis is working his way through one by one. And she was the only one who didn't really want to be his mistress. So they had to go to some lengths to get her. She was already seeing this like young duke and she was into him and she's like, no, I'm good. But the king's advisor, the Duc de Richelieu, really wanted him to actually have a more ambitious, a more political, a more manipulative mistress so that he could push his own agenda. So he tried everything to get her away from this duke. He like sent him to the front lines of battle. That didn't work. He lived. So then he hired a woman to go seduce him. That did work. And it made her real jealous. So she was like, okay, fine. I'll be the king's mistress. But only if he gives me a house, a car, my own bank account. (laughs) 
and a Balenciaga bag. I mean, basically. <laughs> she set conditions. She set conditions. And she actually didn't sleep with him for the first couple months. Wow. So he was just like following her around. He was like begging her for her time. So she That's was a just. Power move. Oh, she was playing him hot and cold. Yeah. But she was actually more personally ambitious than politically ambitious. So she didn't actually do much, I think, for Richelieu. <laughs> no. And she made a bunch of enemies in court. She did. She was, because she was so focused on herself, it seems that um, she wasn't making friends. She wasn't there to make friends. Right. She was there to get what she wanted for her. She was looking out for number one. She had so many enemies that when she died, she was convinced that she'd been poisoned because she like fell down with like cramps and she was so sure that someone had poisoned her. That's right. She was very sick, very suddenly Mm -hmm. and died pretty quickly. And she died uh, having been convinced it was someone at court that poisoned her. Most historians now say that, that she just got sick. She had a lot of other symptoms that fell in line with illnesses of the day. But it's a little weird that she died after the hunt, mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. Jean-Antoinette Fish, mm-hmm. Jean-Antoinette Poisson, uh, made her presence known. Mm. I want to pull into Speculation Station because I think that pageant mom, Mrs. Fish, 100% poisoned her. 100%. Mrs. Fish. You know, this woman spent her whole life mm-hmm. grooming her daughter. Yeah. And then she gets there, finally gets to meet him, and there's this other woman in the way. In the way. She had to go. She's got to go. She's got I'm to gonna go. I'm going to push that bitch down the stairs, Damn. like in striptease. <laughs> or, 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 I forgot again, what's her name from Game of Thrones? Um, Tyrell. Ty- Tyrell. I want him to know it was me. <laughs> anyway, that's what I think. That's, that's our speculation. Theory. Hopefully the Poisson estate doesn't come after us. <laughs> Okay, so pulling out of speculation station, it's 1744, King Louis XV's mistress has just died. She was the last of all the sisters, so there's nobody left in that family. (laughs) He's got to find somebody new. So what does he do? He throws a party uh, to celebrate his son's marriage. But Mm -mm. the poor son thinks that's what the party is for, but it's really about finding Louis a new side piece. So it's like a, a newly divorced dad throwing a birthday party for his kid, but he just wants to meet all the moms. He invites all the moms from the playground. <laughs> all the single moms. Hey, hey, invite all your little friends and you know their moms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys go play on the trampoline. I'm gonna talk to the moms. So what Louis does is this party. Big party, it's a masquerade ball, right? Yeah, it's a costume party. It's a costume party. And so the plan is Louis says, uh, me and my eight bros are all gonna dress up as yew trees, Y-E-W. And they are in these elaborate yew costumes. There's some drawings uh, from the time, and they are like full-on roots and branches. Straight up Groots walking Seriously. around this party. It looks Eight like Groots. Groots walking around this party. They come out with masks on. And the idea, of course, is that this way Louis can flirt, and no one's going to know who he is, and he can really get a real personality out of these women and pick someone he really likes. But of course, everybody knows what's going on. All these ladies came with the intention of meeting the king and being the mistress. So they go to these trees and they all just start laying it on thick. I'm going to assume this tree is the king and I'm going to climb it. (laughs) Get in them branches. Build a swing (laughs) and enjoy myself. Why don't you and me leaf together? Oof. Oof. Oh, I'm sorry, but you're barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> Louis knows what he's doing. You see Jean-Antoinette Poisson. He walks right up to her. 
He takes his mask off. She's dressed like Diana of the Hunt, the goddess. Um, so cute. A little throwback to their cause, hunt. Because of the hunt. hunt. The hunt is like their little their thing. Little meat cute. A little meat, M-E-A-T cute. Oh meat God. cute. <laughs> it was a meat cute. Because <laughs> of the venison. And then he sent her some really cute meat Aww, in that heart box. In the heart box. See, it is romantic. It's ridiculous. It's basically a Hallmark movie. So he sees her and he rips his mask off and he declares his affection for her. At the party. And uh, this kicks off their Life their achievement. Yeah. Both of them just find what they want right then and there. Mm-hmm. A little tragic. Mrs. Fish, our pageant mom, who definitely, probably, definitely killed Madame Chateauroux <laughs> and did everything to groom her daughter to be this mistress. She tragically died before she got to see Jean Antoinette take her place in the court. So she didn't actually get to see, but she knew it was going to happen. So she probably died happy. She knew. Yeah. Right? She's burning she in hell knew. right now smiling. Because <laughs> she's a murderer. <laughs> Multiple times. She's definitely she a definitely, serial murderer. Probably, definitely, probably you definitely heard it here first. killed every single person she had to. Anyone who got in her way. Yes. Yeah, so she was officially mistress in 1745. Mm-hmm. Came with a title. Marquise. And, uh, and her court name became Madame Pompadour. You got your own name in court once you once you became a thing, you know. Right. There was well, that was your noble title that you had to be given in order right. to be introduced at court. Yeah. So you had he had to buy her like a the Marquise of Pompadour. So they meet. They hit it off. The thing is, they get along really well together. Madame Pompadour was sort of the antithesis of his wife Marie. She was very good at entertaining. Uh, she was very outgoing and fun and flirty. She had spent all these years learning how to throw parties, and now that was her favorite thing, and she was so good at it. Everybody loved her parties. She would throw hunts for him, because it was their thing, doing a hunt. so cute. Oh, Oh, you know, anytime things got rocky, it was like, oh, let's go on a hunt again, you know, and then the music would swell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just like, let's do that. Bring back the magic by (laughs) murdering a deer. So the other thing was that Madame Pompadour was also the only person that Louis really trusted to tell him the truth, to be honest with him. She was a straight shooter. You know, everybody else in court, they're talking to the king. So they're going to talk to him like he's the king. They're going to tell him what they think the king wants to hear. So he's not really getting it straight from anybody. And she provides that for him. She's just an honest friend. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really what he needed. And they connected really well on, on pretty much every level. Yeah, and she got pretty influential. People started to come to her. She was telling him not what to do, I guess, but she was certainly pushing him, you know, in directions that she liked. So, like, in 1749, they had this tax that was created to finance the war, basically on the backs of all the poor people, and she helped push to replace it with a tax that taxed everyone, including all the rich people and noblemen and everyone in the court, basically. Ooh. And they hated it. They hated did not. It. <laughs> they did not like that. But you know what? Sorry. Yeah, she was like the Elizabeth Warren <laughs> of her time, coming in and saying, "Your, your fifty millionth and first franc is all coming back to us. We're taking it. We're taking it. Sorry, one percent. Mm-hmm. On on percent. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, France." You guys are we great. really like you. We really like France. <laughs> so, uh, so that really, uh, it, it really just showed the sort of influence that she had, and that the people liked her. She even made friends with the queen. So the queen didn't like his mistresses, and she had not got 
along at all with Madame Chateauroux Mm -hmm. because she thought she was really haughty. But she made an effort to be really respectful to the queen. Mm -hmm. And like she just tried not to make her life hard, I think, which makes sense to me. Madame Pompadour comes in and says, I'm not doing this anti-feminist bullshit where women just have to hate each other because right. there's some man in between them. Like, we can get along. Mm-hmm. We can we can just be friends because mm-hmm. we're not competing women, even though we're literally splitting our time <laughs> between the same man. But it was different. <laughs> it was arranged. Everybody was cool with it. Eh. I mean... <laughs> cool enough. Cool enough. They didn't change it for a long time, so it must have been cool <laughs> enough. So I guess it was a good thing that they were such good friends... Because in 1750, their sexual relationship ended. She stopped having sex with the king. They just became friends and she was still a trusted advisor. And apparently there's like sort of a myth that she went and found her own replacement so that she wouldn't have to have sex with him anymore. But apparently there's that's not that's not actually true. She there was like a house that he would meet women in. <laughs> it's called the stag house. <laughs> oh, yeah. At Versailles, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Again, a hunting reference again, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, but she ne- she didn't really care about that at all because she was like, I'm still in this position. I still have my power. Everything is chill. Yeah, she actually described herself as having a cold temperament, by which she meant that she just kind of didn't have a libido. Mm-hmm. She, Maybe a little ace. Yeah. And um, she would go to doctors over these these five years that they were having sex that talk about remedies. And they they would they gave her all these ridiculous remedies. Truffles. Uh, vanilla extract oh. and celery because you know oh there's nothing like celery oh nothing makes me hornier than chewing on water mm-hmm. just, just mm, crunchy stringy like when it gets stuck in your teeth and you pull it out like floss oh, stop the podcast all the celery tugs really yeah, we're gonna get me going we're gonna be right back <laughs> You know, you, you know, I you need a fan in here. My God. You know, you burn more calories eating celery than you get from eating it. Have some mercy on the listeners. Sorry, listeners. People are running their cars off the road. <laughs> yeah, I would be too. <laughs> to change the channel. Uh-huh. But please don't change the channel, and we will be right back and celery free right after this. Okay, and we are back. And like Madame Pompadour and King Louis, we have cooled off all the way off. (laughs) Even though they're not sleeping together because I guess the celery didn't work. But she still is his closest confidant in in the court. She still has an official position. She still has a lot of power. She's kind of like a prime minister sort of Mm. uh, level Mm -hmm. of power. She helps the Treaty of Versailles get going in 1756, which is going to uh, align France with Austria and Russia against Britain and Prussia. And this is going to start the Seven Years' War, which is nothing but bad news for the French. It's seven really bad years. They lose. They lose all their colonies in the in the New mm-hmm. World. They, the Louisiana Territory, gone. Canadian land, gone. Uh, I think a little chunk of Florida, gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, And also during that time... Uh, Someone tried to kill Louis with a knife. Yeah. In 1757, an assassin attempted to stab Louis XV. Uh, Didn't work. Louis made it through. He was just fine. The assassin wasn't. This poor guy. I mean, you know, he wasn't an attempted murderer. But still, 
drawn and quartered, and then his body burned. I mean, this is overkill. Wait, why do you need to? It's like shooting like a dead deer. I don't, I don't understand why would you need to burn it. Awful. Humans. Not only is this assassin drawn, quartered, and burned, but his father, his wife, and his daughter were all banished from France, and his brothers and sisters all had to change their name. Uh, so Louis is very depressed after this assassination attempt, and things are really bad in France. Everybody's poor, everybody's broke, things are going bad, they don't like him. He's totally deteriorating the reputation of the crown among the French people. Right. Which, if you know anything about French history, about one Louis later, <laughs> things get pretty bad. Pretty hardcore. Right. And his relationships, not not only his relationship with Pompadour, although it was probably the most important because she was the most influential, but also his other mistresses and everything, the, the all the sisters, <laughs> is just kind of crumbling the public perception and the even the court's trust and, and loyalty to the crown. And so and also the policies, everything he was trying to do to get the monarchy to be an absolute monarchy and stop having a parliament being in, in charge of things. Mm-hmm. Um, all that just kind of worked in concert. So his his relationships really made a huge difference to how his life turned out. And that's the whole point. And and, and the world, because we you know we could go into French history uh, as a whole other uh, oh, series, multiple episodes of a podcast. But um, but really focusing on the relationships, it's ridiculous because it's silly. This idea of mistresses, it's ridiculous of this royal mistress position, mm-hmm. uh, the royal mistress position. That's in the Kama Sutra, what, right? Yeah, it's got to be. It's probably pretty hot. The royal mistress. The ro- the- I don't know. It sounds like great for one person. And what's the royal mistress position? Hmm. It's probably pretty vanilla. Because of the libido thing. Celery. <laughs> it's the, it's the girls eating celery mm-hmm. and ignoring the man. <laughs> That's the royal mistress position. While, while he deteriorates his relationship with his people. Yes, well, he slowly shreds a paper crown. It's hot. Looking at how the royal mistress position and his relationships and his public persona, how they perceived him due to his relationships, really shaped, you know, the future of France. They found him to be very indecisive because she could pull him in one direction while his the rest of his court or the rest of his family was trying to pull him in another. So he was slow to make decisions. Mm-hmm. Things are tough during the war years, but uh, but Pompadour is, is working to at least try and create some jobs in the area. She influenced the art world uh, considerably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she um, she herself was an artist. She did a lot of engravings, and she stimulated innovation in the Rococo art style. Mm-hmm. And in uh, 1759, she actually had built and then later bought... The Sèvres Porcelain Factory, which became the most famous porcelain factory in the world. And so, like you said, it created a lot of jobs. Mm -hmm. And it was in Sèvres, France. So I think it's like a champagne thing where it has to, like, if it doesn't come from Sèvres, it doesn't count. Yeah, this is like Sèvres Porcelain is its own thing. Mm -hmm. So like, oh, you know, it. It's not Sèvres porcelain if it doesn't come from the Sèvres region of France. Yeah, it's just sparkling ceramic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so she did a lot of cool art stuff, and that was cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Less cool political things, uh, like the suppression of the Jesuits, kind of a serious part of 
the crumbling of the the perception of mm-hmm. the public mm-hmm. and uh, the weakening of the church and so on and so forth. So, but they they do managed to get the Treaty of Paris going in 1763 to end the Seven Years' War. She was a big supporter of that, obviously had the king's ear on that one, and uh, and was able to bring that war to an end, finally. Obviously, they lost a lot in the process. But she also had supported ministers that put in some really important fiscal reforms that did make France the richest nation in the world. So, kind of a mixed bag, I guess, mm-hmm. of a mm-hmm. legacy. And sadly... Just the year after the Treaty of Paris and the Seven Years' War ended, uh, sadly, Madame Pompadour died of tuberculosis. And obviously, Louis is devastated. Uh, he's really slips into a depression at this point. He's just listening to the Smiths and the Cure and just having a real bummer of a time. <laughs> yeah, this is emo period. Mm-hmm. Bangs, eyeliner. Yeah. <laughs> eyeliner. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> he continues to erode the public's perception of his reign, especially, and he died in 1774, pretty pretty unliked by his people, and generally setting the stage for, for the French Revolution, because Louis XVI, of course, didn't come in and fix everything. Mm. He made it way worse. He made it way worse. But that's for another day, yeah. and another ridiculous romance. Mm-hmm. We we talked a bit about the legacy, I guess, but mm-hmm. you know, if we, if we went if we did a little montage afterwards, a little like you know, smudge lens, soft mm-hmm. focus montage <laughs> of all their ridiculous <laughs> moments. Yeah, you know, they're they're she's riding by in this carriage. Mm-hmm. She's getting the box of meat. Of meat. <laughs> she, he's he's in the yew tree costume. Uh huh. She's swinging Declaring on his, his branches. Love. Yeah, <laughs> she's she's climbing him. Uh huh. She's cutting him down. She's munching on some celery. Oh, just in the sexiest way possible. Mm -hmm. Possible. (laughs) Is there an unsexy way to eat celery? If there is, I haven't seen it. (laughs) Okay, thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode. Yes, thank you for tuning in. We're so, so excited to be doing this with you Mm -hmm. and your beautiful ears Mm -hmm. listening to our every word. It's a dream come true. Let that sound pour in through your beautiful ears and then use your beautiful fingertips to send us an email if you've got any feedback or thoughts, suggestions, or you just want to compliment how pretty we are in terms of our voices. We do love compliments. And you can reach out to us at romance at iheartradio.com. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Diana Might Boom. Right. And I'm at, oh great, it's Eli. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review, follow us, give us five stars, you know, help us keep this ridiculous thing going. Special thanks this week to everyone who helped us get this show off the ground. That's the OGs, Ben Bolin and Noel Brown and the whole ridiculous team at iHeartRadio. Also to John Rigney, Brian and Mariel Gomez-Bauer and Cherry Del Rosario and Jason Mallory. All right. Thanks again. Until next time. We We love love you. you. I don't know if that's going (laughs) to stick. I hate it. So long, friends, it's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and dance to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance.